It's been said that every quilt tells a story, and it's so true. But I also believe every quilter has a story to tell. I wanted to hear about the people behind these wonderful quilts and thought you'd enjoy hearing about their lives also. Welcome to A Quilter's Life. Quilting has changed Robin Kaler's life in so many ways. She gets the most joy out of inspiring others. I had so much fun hearing her story, as well as finding out how Nestlings by Robin came about. Robin's main focus is being a quilt designer and teacher, but she also does hand quilting commissions and is an AQS certified quilt appraiser. The term she likes to use for herself is heritage architect, which is so fitting. Robin, thanks for joining me on A Quilter's Life. Thank you very much for having me, Paula. Uh-huh. Let's begin with where were you born and raised? I am a military brat, as they like to call us. So I was born in New York, out on Long Island. And my mother's family is originally from there. But due to military factors, we moved around a bit. So my father's from Kansas. And when I was first born, we lived in Rhode Island for a while. And then we moved to Kansas for a while, non-military related. He had some broken service in there. And then we moved back to New York. So I've lived in New York twice. I've lived in Kansas twice. We lived in North Carolina briefly when I was little. And then I ended up graduating high school in Virginia. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Were any of those times shorter than a year? Yes. The North Carolina one was shorter than a year when I was little. We moved partway through a school year, I think, because in my brain, I always think of doing first grade in two different places. So I went to first grade in North Carolina, but I guess we did most of the year there before my dad's father passed away. And so that was the second time he got out of the military. And that's what prompted us to move back to Kansas that second time. Hmm. Was he in the same service both times he was in or did he switch services? He switched because originally when he joined out of high school, he joined the Navy. And so when he and my mother met, he was still in the Navy. Then the first time he got out, when we moved back to Kansas, when he decided to go back in, he ended up joining the Coast Guard. So then once he came into the Coast Guard, he stayed, even though he had that next bit of broken service, he went back into the Coast Guard after that. So it was Navy at the beginning and then Coast Guard for the rest of his career. Wow. Can you share a special childhood memory? I liked when we lived in New York the second time. <laughs> it was culture shock for sure, moving from a dinky little town in Kansas to upstate New York. We were near Albany, so we were near the capital. But being in that area allowed us to visit my grandmother a lot more, my mother's parents, because like I said, they're from Long Island. So I think that ended up only being maybe a three-hour trip. And we were about middle school age, I guess, at the time. So getting to spend more time with my grandma, <laughs> those are more childhood memories. 
I got along well with my dad's mother when we lived out there. She was very nice, but my mother's mother was a little softer and taught me things. She would teach me to crochet and we went for long walks with her and she always made fun little desserts and she had this little cabinet of sprinkles. I loved her sprinkle cabinet. So yeah, I would say my grandmother. (laughs) Share with me about your employment. Employment. (laughs) That's always an interesting one. I did not go to college. I was part of an ROTC program in high school. So I joined the military right out of high school. I went to the Coast Guard. You followed your dad, huh? Uh, Yes, for better or worse. (laughs) (laughs) That's always a really tough spot for kids. I think going in the Coast Guard was great. I loved what I was doing. I was good at what I was doing. I think when you join something like that, not even just military, but anything, you know, joining the firm, the family firm, anything like that. There are always people in that world that know your parent. And so it can open doors, but it also puts a lot of expectation on a kid. I had some doors open for me. I ended up being the first female in the Coast Guard to, well, I think I was not just the first female. I was the first person to do my training school while I was still in high school. I wasn't active duty when I actually did my training. And there was a special contract clause that was written up for me which was very exciting to a young person, but put more pressure on me when I got in. So that was interesting. And then while I was in the military, I met my husband. He was in the Coast Guard. And at some point, we made the decision once we started having children that I would get out, he would stay active duty. And so he was career military. He did 30 years in the Coast Guard and I followed him around. And the choice was made because I remember being a military kid and that constant instability of moving all the time. And I kind of wanted my children to have that feeling of stability. It's hard to give, even when you're there, it's hard to give that stability when you're moving all the time. So I got out. And I stayed home more with the girls and then had small little jobs along the way, as a lot of military spouses do. And they were very interesting because I tended to luck into jobs that all seemed to be in the same field, even though I didn't intentionally seek them out. The first time we were living in Guam and there was a spouse there. She was getting transferred. And so her boss said, well, if you know any other spouses looking for a job, you know, one of those kinds of things. And so I went in, I interviewed, I got the job and it was at an advertising agency doing TV, radio, newspaper spots. And so I ended up being a client liaison. Basically, I would help the clients get their job from start to finish. And I would go to the radio station and help pick out music for radio commercials or go to the TV station and help make sure that some of that stuff got put together properly. And it was really interesting and I really liked it. And then when we moved again, there was a radio station that said they had a job opening. So I thought, well, I've already sort of done some radio stuff, so I'll go there. And when I went, they wanted me to do sales. And I said, no, 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 no. I don't want to do sales. I'll be awful at sales. So they said, well, we do have a DJ position open. (laughs) And I said, okay, let me give that a whack, you know? And so 
I worked the evening shift so that we didn't have to pay for daycare. And the radio station was on the main drag in this tiny little defunct logging town. And I was basically the fish in the bowl. It had a big giant picture window. And while I was in there DJing, you know, truckers would roll through at 10 o'clock at night, honk their horn at me. (laughs) (laughs) And so then I had a couple other little weird jobs. And then down the line a little bit, we were living in Key West. And this woman who had opened a business down there called the base looking for the contact to try to get a spouse a job, which again, I love when small businesses local reach out to the military community to help military spouses get jobs because it's really hard to try to find your niche in places. So she accidentally called my husband's office and it was another advertising job. It was doing imprint advertising. You know, when people call and want 500 pens for some big venue they're doing, they want giveaways type of stuff with their business name and logo on it. Mm -hmm. So I learned imprint advertising. So then another station we were at, I ended up working in a printer shop. Lots of little things that were all sort of in that same world without doing it on purpose. (laughs) So you got a lot of experience. I did. I really did. And it was fun. It's a fun job. So where are you living now and how did you get there? We presently live near Tampa, Florida. And we are here (laughs) because this was the last duty station when he retired. Well, like I said, when we got married, we were living in Baltimore at the time. And my husband was quite the go-getter in the beginning. So where most military billets are anywhere from three to four years We've had some of those as he's gone through his career further in. But in the beginning, he would promote himself out of billets frequently. So when we moved our first time together, we moved to Guam. And we were only in Guam, not quite two years. And then we moved to Oregon and not quite two years there. Maybe only a year and a half in Oregon. And then four years in St. Louis, a year in Key West, which, by the way, is plenty of time because you're stuck there. You can't go anywhere. (laughs) And then when he promoted out of that, we went to Puerto Rico for two years and again promoted himself out. We went to New Jersey and from Jersey, we left early a year so that we could go back to St. Louis because we had really liked it there the first time. It was a great place to raise kids. And our girls would be entering high school. So we kind of wanted out of the fray a little bit. And from St. Louis, we went to North Carolina, where I begged and pleaded for my older to come move with us instead of going to college somewhere else. And then from North Carolina, we moved here and I had to leave my children. It's kind of the reverse. They flew the coop in their own sense that they were away at college, but we packed up and left them in North Carolina. (laughs) We had orders, so you go where the orders say. We've met a lot of military families who just knew, oh, when we retire, we're definitely moving back to wherever. And we didn't really have that. So he likes it here, and I could take or leave all the heat. Mm -hmm. But my job allows me to travel, so I get the best of both worlds, I guess. Yeah. When we moved here, it was a four-year billet. And in the military, you can sometimes ask for an extension. 
So he knew he was so close to retirement. He asked for that one year extension. So we knew we'd do five years here. And when we got to the four and a half year mark, (laughs) I started really stressing because this would be the longest I had ever lived anywhere in my entire life, not just our military career, but my childhood as well. And so I was not excited about the prospect of staying. I really wanted to move again. And we had big, long discussions about it. And I think it does make it easier for me to stay because my job does allow me to travel. So when I get a job that says, oh, you're going here, I'm like, yes, let's do this. (laughs) For anybody out there who's listening, who's ever traveled, if you're a traveling teacher, you're going to totally understand it when I say, you feel like you're packing up your whole life to go teach somewhere. And so I have bags and bags of stuff that I travel with. I probably overpack. It does allow staying here a little easier because I know I'm going to be on the move. Yeah. Yeah. That's so neat. Besides quilting, what other crafts do you do or have you done? Well, I think you probably interview enough people to know we've tried a lot of things. (laughs) (laughs) I don't come from a quilting family. So my first foray into crafting was when I was little. And my mother is a master knitter. She's amazing. So she kind of believes in keeping your hands busy. And one of the very first things I ever made In the 1970s, this bright orange yarn cross-stitched owl that I show in my lecture about how I got here. So cross-stitching to me was fun, and I really enjoyed cross-stitching. I did for many years. Many years, cross-stitching was the passion, and I was getting much better at it. I'd have more intricate designs. And then I've also tried woodworking and painting. There was a time where I would have a sale table. And I would sell wooden pieces that I cut out on my very own jigsaw and painted and did all of that. But after quilting, nothing. (laughs) (laughs) So if you're going to ask me if I have other hobbies, no. (laughs) Quilting, Quilting is the hobby. It's the hobby. It's the job. It's the world. I eat and sleep and breathe quilting. I wake up in the middle of the night with new design ideas. It's usually the first thing I think of in the morning and the last thing I think of before I go to sleep. And then I think about it while I sleep. (laughs) I love it. Who introduced you to quilting? I was aware of quilting all through my crafting days. And years ago, back when my kids were little, little, I had started a cross-stitch project that was supposed to be on an Afghan that I knew I was not going to do that. Someday I would learn to quilt. And so that's just one of those things you think about, but you just put it off, put it off. And when we moved to Puerto Rico, we moved out there in 98, I guess. There was a spouse in the neighborhood who loved to quilt. And she had recently moved there. And moving overseas is more isolating than moving in the United States. It just has different challenges. And she was lonely, I guess, and wanted some friends. So she very graciously offered that she would teach quilting in her home to anybody who wanted to learn. Her name was Michelle, and she was quite a riot. And so 
there ended up being four of us consistently. And then there was a fifth person who would come occasionally. And we would get together in her house. I guess she used to teach maybe at a Joann's or something. I don't think it was a quilt shop. So she knew the concept of how to teach a sampler. So she was going to teach us this sampler. And back in that time in Puerto Rico, there were not quilt shops. The only fabric you could find was at Walmart, and it was very, very limited. And so once a week, we would go to Michelle's house, and we would eat chocolate cake and drink rum punch and learn how to quilt. It was the best quilting experience ever. And she would sometimes check my stitching. You know, I'm a beginner. You probably want to rip that seam out and redo that. She was a little more perfectionist than I am. And I would say, oh, no, 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 no. It it looks good just the way it is. And then I would pour another glass of rum punch (laughs) and keep stitching. And I have to say that sampler quilt didn't turn out too bad. It looks pretty good considering it was a beginner quilt and I was enjoying my rum while I was stitching it. (laughs) Was that machine stitching or was it hand stitching? We did the whole top by machine. She had two blocks in there that were applique. One was a Dresden plate and I forget what the other one was. And she taught us that technique of doing the edges over with starch, but then you would machine stitch them. And she was having us do satin stitching, which I loathe. And I think I loathe it because I don't do it well. And so I can see all the mistakes in that. But yeah, I ended up hand quilting the top myself, but everything else was by machine. Okay. Describe your favorite quilt. (laughs) Oh, they're all my babies. How can you pick this one? I can't. I don't pick one. I do love them all in their own way. They all taught me something different. And usually I say it's the next one, (laughs) the one I'm working on, the one that's about to be finished, and then the one I'm already thinking about. If I had to choose of the ones that I've done, probably later in my career, I like the more heavily applique ones that I've been designing recently. They're a little more intricate. And when I look at them, you know, my heart skips a beat. My earlier ones were very simple and they were cutesy. So yeah, I like my more recent ones. Were those earlier ones appliqued or just pieced? Mostly appliqued. When I met Michelle, she was working on this super intricate hand appliqued piece. It was from the Peacemakers calendars. I think that's the name of them. And it was this northeast cliffside with little lighthouses and shrubs and I just said what are you doing and she was explaining hand applique to me and I just said no you're on crack I would just never do that when I moved to New Jersey and I was on my own you know watching Alex Anderson it was like that one day when the little light bulb goes on and you go oh all those little doodles I've been dragging around from duty station to duty station have a purpose and so I pulled some of those out and started doing very small, like, I mean, anything that would fit on my 18 by 24 drawing tablet, because I was doing everything by hand. So all of them were very small, very simple, a central applique figure with a little border on it. There are a couple of piece blocks that are my favorites, but no, most of the time, if I can just sit and applique, I am a happy girl. Hmm. And do you lean toward a certain color palette on your quilts? (laughs) Uh, My friends say I do. (laughs) (laughs) 
I see it now. I didn't see it then, but yeah, my friends tease me. I have a friend, especially I'll say, Oh, look at this layout. This is really beautiful. And she'll say, well, of course it is. Cause it has red and black and green <laughs> and gold. And so, yeah, I tend toward that particular color palette. It'll have orange in it. If I do decide to put a little blue, which is very rare for me, I pick more of like a peacock blue or something deeper like that. I'm not much for pastels at all. I like deep colors. Mm -hmm. Tell me about a tool that you like to use. That's a hard one because I'm not really much of a gadget girl. I'm not the one that's going to run right out and buy the latest, greatest, whatever that just hit the shelves. I really like a good set of solid, reliable tools. I guess for hand quilting, I love my Barnett lap hoop. Well, I have it in a frame, but I need a good quilting hoop. I need good thread. Right now, I'm totally digging on my Aurifil 50 weight. I bought a box set for myself at the beginning of the pandemic because I thought, I'm going to get so much handwork done this year with all my gigs being canceled. And so I splurged and it's a lovely thread. Mm -hmm. Those are probably my favorites right now. Let's put it that way. Kind of like quilts. <laughs> <laughs> What's my next favorite? Well, you don't know if you haven't been introduced to it yet. Exactly. So there you go. Who knows what it'll be. And what part of the quilting process do you like? It's kind of a toss up. They're two sides of the same coin, I guess, but the designing and then bringing it to life in fabric. So the design aspect of it is just so fun when you come up with an idea and if I can get the shape just right, just what I want in the computer, that's when it gets more fun. Once you get the base shape, then I can start playing with the repeats and the rotations, but then it's only half alive at that point. Once you bring the design into my room and I stand there and pick the fabrics I want, once those shapes are cut and I see it on the background fabric and it starts to take form, I can't even describe that. Another designer would get it. There's something very exhilarating and humbling about knowing that you came up with that idea. And there it is. And it's tangible. It's not just in your head anymore. Mm -hmm. What was your worst quilting experience? Well, I don't have an easy relationship with my sewing machine. I'll tell you that. That's probably not every time, but there are a lot of times when I know I have a big project or a magazine deadline or something, and I have to rely on my machine that I get a little stressed. That probably feeds into the worst experience because years ago I had a deadline coming up and I worked really well with a deadline, but I tend to let that deadline creep up on me first. And so maybe I'm an adrenaline junkie. I don't know. There's something about that. Oh, wait, you goofed off all this time and now you have that deadline looming. You better get your button gear. So I did that. I had a deadline coming and I had let it go a little too far. And life likes to kind of slap you in the back of the head when you wait too long. Mm -hmm. So my husband and I both came down with the flu. And I'm not one that normally gets sick. So it was a real blow to my ego that one, how dare my body let me down and get sick, first of all. And second of all, I have this big deadline I've got to do. 
And at the time, I hadn't met my fabulous long arm quilter who does most of my bigger pieces for me now. At the time, it was just me. I was doing my own. And I thought it would be a good idea on this particular quilt to learn a particular quilt as you go method that I wanted to learn. Since I was going to be quilting the whole thing myself on my little domestic machine, and it's about, I don't know, 60 by 80, it's a big quilt. It's not little. And at the time, it was one of the larger ones I had done by myself. And so a week and a half out from trying to get it into the mail, I'm trying to learn quilt as you go. I feel awful. My machine was cooperating well enough, but it was difficult because it was kind of all new to me. And then in the middle of that, one of our daughters wanted to move home from college. She was having issues and wanted to come home. And I told my husband, absolutely not. (laughs) I love our children with all my heart, but it wasn't like she was moving home because she couldn't hack it. Just having some self-doubt and she needed to know that you stick with it and you'll get through it and it'll prove to you that, yes, you can do this. And I just can't. I can't think about this right now. I have a headache. I can't (laughs) breathe. And I have a quilt to finish. And so I got it all done. And I have to say that the free motion quilting on the alternate blocks of that particular quilt, it's probably some of the best machine quilting I've ever done, considering I was even a little new to that. I'm not a great machine quilter, but yeah, in the end, I'm really kind of proud of that quilt. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. It had to be hard, though, to tell your daughter she couldn't come home. Well, I'll let my husband do that. (laughs) (laughs) I've played the bad guy long enough. It's his turn. (laughs) And I take it she reacted okay. Oh, yeah. It all worked out. There were no temper tantrums or anything. She just was having a little questioning meltdown like we all do at that age. And she did well. She's very successful now. I'm very proud of her. Oh, good. Robin, why do you make quilts? Well, I think that's an easy answer. The fabric. No. (laughs) (laughs) The fabric. I think that I would have been a maker no matter what the medium. I always had been. I was always making something. There was just something in me that needed to come out. Quilts are just the easy form. That tactile quality of fabric. There isn't a person alive on this planet that doesn't have a reaction to fabric. And I don't mean quilters. I mean every single person. From the day we're born, we're put into a warm, cozy blanket. Everybody who's gotten into bed after they've just cleaned the sheets, there's a specific feel about that. Every person knows the feel of a good pair of jeans. Every person can understand that feeling, that innate something in us, that the reaction that we have to fabric. And then the other bonuses of quilting to me are teaching. I, as a child, don't ask me why I loved playing teacher. Loved, loved, loved it. But I never thought about becoming a teacher. I never thought of being a school teacher. And then when I became a professional quilter and I got to go teach, it was just marrying all these little parts of myself that I had always had. I mean, that aha moment that a student has when they see a design that they've done using guidance that I've given them, they designed it, but I helped them get from point A to point B. It's very satisfying. Yeah. 
And did I say the fabric? Yeah, I yeah. think I mentioned that. <laughs> and the people. I have met some of the most amazing quilters in this world. I love learning from my students. I love teaching the students. I love meeting other professional quilters and finding out what they do and how they got here. And you can understand that. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's just something about the whole entire industry that's heartwarming. And if we don't talk about all the business, all business has its dirty side. <laughs> <laughs> but quilting as a whole, it's an incredible place to be. Yeah. And I think quilters are such giving and loving people that that shows through the business side too. Absolutely. We get to go higher because of the women who came before us and broke ground and got us to the next step and then the next step. And it is, it's everybody lifting everybody up to that next level. Mm -hmm. And who do you make your quilts for? Most of my quilting is testing out designs, doing work samples, magazine samples. It's all work mostly. Uh, Occasionally I get to make one for a family member or a friend. And that's a lovely feeling to be able to give that warmth and comfort to someone else. I really love this little term that I use for myself, which is heritage architect. But it's me getting to put myself into the story of someone else. I do hand quilting commissions. And so most of those commissions are based on somebody who's not a quilter bringing me a top from their family, a grandma, an aunt, whoever, mother made it and didn't get to finish it. And then I get the opportunity to put the stitches in and finish the family story. So that's another aspect of making quilts, finishing them. Mm-hmm. What project are you working on right now? I have a couple of upcoming magazine projects that I'm working on writing and doing the samples for. I have a new quilt along that'll be coming out probably in April. I've been kicking that can down the road. It was supposed to be out this month, but the little bit of ADD in me, I changed courses midway in one project and picked a different project. So my followers are having to wait a little longer until I get my act together. (laughs) And then in the next month, I'll be doing a lot of kit prepping because I was invited to be an instructor at Pigeon Forge, Tennessee's Mountain Quilt Fest in May. And I am super stoked to get back out there with real live breathing quilters. <laughs> Even if I have to wear a mask, I don't care. I might make a new mask for every day of the week for that one. <laughs> I don't know. If something to match my outfit, something crazy, maybe I'll put feathers on them. I don't know. I'm really excited to get back out there again and meet people. It'll be fun. Yeah. I'm sure people are looking forward to having you instruct them, too. I hope so. (laughs) Share a quilting tip. My biggest tip, I guess, is try everything because I am passionate about handwork. That's my passion. And I realize that not everybody is. But I also know that if you don't try everything, that someday you're going to come up against that quilt that you just have to make. And when you do, it's like having a toolkit. You're going to have all the tools necessary. You won't have to learn anything. You'll just jump right in with gusto and do what you want. You'll have 
all the tools in your arsenal to tackle it. Because I like to tell people in my lectures and my workshops, everybody in this room has lived a full life and quilting is not rocket science. It's not brain surgery. Everything's attainable one step at a time. And when they come to me, oh, no, I, I can't do that. I can't do hand work. Well, can't or won't because we can all do it. We're all smart enough. And I just feel that you should learn everything. How do you know you don't like it if you haven't tried it? Mm -hmm. There's that throwback from my mom. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I shared this in the past, but I was able to take one quilting class. And when I took that, they were having us sew on the binding and then flip it over and hand sew that part. And I said, this is the only one I'm ever going to hand sew. I am going to do them by machine after this. (laughs) I have never done one by machine again. I fell in love with that hand binding. So that falls into your tip. Yes, because you just never know. I just don't enjoy being at the machine for hours of the clunk, 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 clunk. I just don't. I just need that piece of the quiet stitching. It's very meditative to me. And there's nothing wrong if you don't want to do handwork. I just don't appreciate when people say, I can't. And I don't know if if they're saying they can't or they won't. I mean, I know for a fact, I don't garden. (laughs) (laughs) And there are people who love to garden. They find that peaceful, tranquil, meditative quality through gardening. I kill plants. I'm not good with that, you know, but I've tried it. (laughs) I just don't do it well. (laughs) Now, share the name of your business. Nestlings by Robin. And how did you go from having quilting as a hobby to having Nestlings by Robin? I think anybody who's creative probably at some point has considered starting your own business. Well, back in the day when the kids were little, little, I had considered having my own stationary business. And we're talking little like back in the day before really the Internet. (laughs) (laughs) So you'd have to be out there huffing it on the street, doing all the craft shows and having your inventory and all that. I didn't have a lot of money to put into inventory one and didn't have space to store inventory either. And then a few years after that, A friend had asked me to paint some children's murals. We came up with the idea of doing some murals in her children's bedroom. And she loved that. And she really just kept saying, you need to have your own business. You need to have, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I started to get a little excited about that. I even went and got the business cards. You know, that's what you start with. You get get ahead (laughs) of yourself and I'm going to go get business cards made. And I named it Off the Wall. And I realized at some point between the process of getting the business cards and starting to do some planning that that was going to be one of those businesses that required a lot of word of mouth. And I don't have time for a word of mouth business. I'm going to be moving in three or four years. And that's right about the time you'd start to take traction, you know, get traction and get things moving. So I quickly put that out of my head. And then years later, when we were living in Jersey, well, I moved from Puerto Rico, where we had nothing quilting world out there, to New Jersey, where they had quilt shops and quilt guilds and all this fun stuff that I joined a quilt guild when I realized what they were. 
And they were a wonderful bunch of ladies who introduced me to quilt shops during a shop hop where we went and had lunch. And I thought, well, this is fantastic. (laughs) I need to be more into this. And so one night we had a speaker, as you do at Guild, and her name was Michelle Scott, another Michelle in my life, walked in. And at the end of the meeting, she came over to me to ask me something about my show and tell and asked me if it was my design. And I thought, what a strange question. And I said, yes. (laughs) (laughs) And at the time, she was working for a really big magazine. And she told me that she thought that design should be published in the magazine. And of course, she knew somebody there because she worked there. And I said, well, that would be wonderful. You know how sometimes the world, there are all these little dots out there, but you don't necessarily always connect the dots. I was still learning about guilds and quilt shops, and I knew nothing about fabric lines. Didn't really pay attention that there were quilt magazines out there. So it never crossed my mind that people put designs in magazines. So I said, well, okay, that would be great. I said, but you know, I'm getting ready to move again. She says, that's okay, because at this point now we have the internet, so we can email, you know, (laughs) hoo-hoo. And um, I moved from Jersey to St. Louis that second time, and we stayed in touch. And as the magazine world does, it sometimes takes up to a year to find out if something's going to move forward. And that particular magazine at the time had undergone an overhaul and had made the decision that they did not want to work with unknown designers or designers that weren't affiliated with a fabric line. So that was me out of the loop. I didn't have any of those credentials. So not really knowing what I was missing, I thanked her for her time. I was very appreciative that she made the effort on my behalf. And I went on with my little world and I walked into a quilt shop in Illinois and the quilt shop owner there, she and I got to talking. I was going to make another sample of this one particular design. And she talked me into teaching at the quilt shop. And I thought, ooh, I like this too. And so after some real thought, I went to my husband and I said, look, I know you think i am got these harebrained schemes, but I said, I think this is something I could be really good at, number one. And number two, it won't break the bank. I don't need to go take a huge loan out to start it. And I don't need word of mouth locally. We have the internet now. And when we move again, I can take it with me because it's more on a national scale. It's not a local town scale. And so that's what I did. I started very small and, you know, kind of dipped my toe in the waters. I got a distributor pretty early on. I was surprised at that. And Nestlings, I felt so different about this, but I knew I needed a name that went with who I was. Having worked advertising all those years, I know the rule. The rule is you should pick something with an A in it (laughs) because (laughs) put you to the front of the line. And unfortunately, I just decided, nah, I'm not doing that. And I'm in the middle of the pack, which even if somebody goes to market and starts at the back of the book, they're still got to get to the middle where I am. Not real bright from that point of view. I'm not a bird lover, but I liked the word nestlings. For obvious reasons, Robin's nest was already taken. Some other Robin had already chosen her name. And so the more I thought about it, I just liked the feel of it. I knew Robin needed to be a part of it. I thought word association of that nest, nestling and Robin went well together. And I liked the fact that it meant something to me. Mm -hmm. It meant my children, who I used to call Chicky, 
It meant having to move every few years and re-nest my home. I mean, that's what you're doing when you're moving. You're re-nesting. <laughs> you're moving things around and seeing what fits in this new layout you're in and what has to go and what can stay. And aside from the word association, it has personal meaning to me. And now I've been in business for what? I don't know. Lost count. 16 years, 17 years. Wow. Yeah. That's quite wild. It fast. so with making patterns how did you feel when you first saw a design that you made made by someone else it's hard to describe it's satisfying it's humbling and it's just on a whole nother scale it's just really cool Because I do have a particular palette I like to work in, when people come to class, they bring fabrics that they like to work in. And more than seeing my design that someone else made, I really enjoy seeing it in lots of other colors and prints that I wouldn't normally choose Mm -hmm. because it will change the look of things. And that's part of the fun of quilting is seeing all the different fabrics and how they play together. Yeah. You talked about possibly having your pattern in that one magazine and that fell through, but I see that you've had patterns in many magazines now. How did that all happen and how does that make you feel? Yeah, the one fell through and it was sad and I didn't really approach that again. Shame on me. I think when you start out the way I did, it's a slow simmer. I wasn't running out there to try to take the world by storm because I kept feeling that, well, I don't really have the chops to do this. I haven't taken any business classes and I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm just kind of winging it as I go, which is what I really love to do in life. I just seem to wing things. So I didn't really approach that again until I'm trying to think. I probably had to have been in business a good five years when another very well-known quilter that I happened to live near at the time she said something to me about this magazine that she was working with. And she says, hey, that thing you just designed for that shop is in like the in colors right now. She's really good at following trends, which I'm not good at. I like to do my own thing. And if it fits, fine. And that's not really how you should do it. (laughs) So she said, you really should submit that because it's going to be right on target. And I said, okay, we'll see. And so I submitted it and it got picked up and I was totally blown away. And that was the first time really in a magazine. It was validating. There's a validation that comes with having someone say your work is good enough for us to put time and money into. Because it's not just one person making that decision. Most of the time in those magazines, it's a team of people, which means they all have to agree from the marketing people to the art people, they all usually have a little bit of a say in that. And the validation that comes with knowing there was a meeting and my design was put up next to multiple designers and mine was chosen and they're willing to put time and money into this is very validating. And it gives you a sense of, okay, maybe I am on the right track here. Even with that one though, I didn't really submit the way I should have for another handful of years. I let it go again. I thought, well, that was probably just a one-off. But 
I don't feel that way anymore. I've had enough time doing this. I know there's a rhythm to it. I don't get my heart broken if I get rejected. I'm not going to say it doesn't hurt, Mm -hmm. but it's not the same kind of hurt. It's not the hurt back then of, well, I'm not really any good. Maybe I should give up versus now it's, well, I'm going to do what I want to do. And if they don't want it, that's a shame because I'm not a modern quilter. And I know that's all the rage right now. So when I'm submitting stuff, I'm submitting designs up against a lot of modern designs. And so you have to be a big girl and realize that it's okay. It's not you, it's them. (laughs) (laughs) It's not like dating where you go, you know, no, no, it's not you, it's me. No, it's not me, it's you. (laughs) (laughs) And then you just keep going. You keep designing and you keep putting yourself out there and For every five no's, there might be one yes, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. And what all does your business offer? Well, I'm primarily a designer and teacher. But like I said earlier, I also do hand quilting commissions. And I am also an AQS certified quilt appraiser. Does that mean you've judged quilts or that people can bring your quilts to be appraised or both? No, not a judge. Judging and appraising are two different things. And they both require a lot of training. So I went the appraiser route because there was a woman in my guild when I moved down here who very sweetly took me under her arm. That was her evil plan all along, unbeknownst to me in the beginning. <laughs> and I say that with a smile. Brenda is just the mentor that everybody should have. She gently twisted my arm and led me down a path I didn't realize I wanted to go down. And she brought me to shows with her and I spent two and a half years training with her. And then you go through a testing process with an AQS certified board and then you get approved or denied and I passed. So Most of the time when I'm doing appraisals, I'm doing them at quilt shows, but I also do one-off. People call me, I make appointments and go see them. And I'm evaluating the value of that quilt, either for insurance purposes, fair market value if they want to resell, or donation purposes. So it's taking all the information about the quilt. Hopefully it has some wonderful provenance to go with it and assigning a value, which in these days is very difficult to do because... On a personal level, we all feel every quilt is just priceless, but the market is not bearing that out right now. So it's been really hard to tell people that, sorry, your quilt's not as valuable as it could be Mm -hmm. in a different market. Yeah. But I get to meet amazing people. I get to hear fabulous quilt stories, which I know you can appreciate. (laughs) (laughs) And I get to add my story, you know, just like with the heritage architect work with the hand quilting commissions. I'm another little piece in that quilt story as it goes through life. And where can people find your business? Well, I have a website. My website is nestlingsbyrobin.com. And I'm also on Facebook under the same name. And I also have a Facebook group called Robin's Rocking Needles. And then on Instagram, I'm just Nestlings1, and my blog is Nestlings by Robin on Blogger or Blogspot, whatever it calls itself. 
So I'm around. I'm not good at it. I'm not in love with social media. I have more important things to do, like handwork. (laughs) (laughs) I find social media difficult, but I do enjoy the fact that it lets us reach out across the miles to people we wouldn't normally get to meet. Yeah. Is there anything else you would like to share with me? I hope if anybody's listening and wants to come take a class with me, they come to Pigeon Forge in May. (laughs) Other than that, I've enjoyed this. I love that you're doing this. I think it's a very important job. Well, thank you, Robin. I was so happy to interview you. Yes, this was fun. Thank you. Uh Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Bye. Have a great day. You too. You can find more stories on aquilterslife.com or subscribe on your favorite podcast player so each episode will be downloaded automatically. Also, I want to hear about you and your wonderful quilts. Please contact me, Paula Chamberlain, through the website to set up an interview. And as always, thanks for listening.